I'm Stephen Hunt. Welcome to the Active Performance Podcast, a podcast that gives top global managers and their teams the confidence and power of clarity to grow their international business in innovative ways. This week, Global Collaboration, The Seven Deadly Sins and Solutions. What are the top seven barriers that stop people collaborating and what can we do about each one of them? Behind every successful man, there's a woman. That's an old quote, it's a bit dated. The genders are certainly changeable, but I'd go further and say that behind every successful CEO, there's a team. And I'd challenge you to think of one successful business person who's done it all on their own. Because I can't think of one. And when I ask executives, they can't think of one either. It takes a team. Richard Branson is often held up as an example of individual success. And in case you don't know who he is, he's a very successful entrepreneur behind the Virgin brand, Virgin Atlantic. He's famous for his marketing skills and creativity. At the moment, he's famous for asking the government for a bailout. Many people view him as a great businessman. Curiously, he puts his success down to the small team around him. He's fully aware that while he has a brilliant entrepreneurial brain, there are areas where he's weak, for example, on legal issues. For Richard Branson, success is not individual. It's built by a team of experts and at the heart of the success is collaboration. It's collaboration that makes companies the real winners today. And that collaboration is going global. Unfortunately, too many executives stop people collaborating successfully across borders. So here, we're going to look at the top seven barriers, what I call the seven deadly sins that stop people collaborating globally and the solutions for each one of them. Barrier number one. Thinking about partnerships as either transactional or transformational. I find this is a simplistic, two-dimensional view of partnerships and relationships. There are actually four basic types of partnerships. The first is based on compliance. We want to avoid difference, so we use rules and regulations to minimise those differences. It works really well in countries and industries where the speed of change is slow where it's a very stable environment. The second type of partnership is the opposite, commitment. Here we value the differences and we want to take advantage of them. This works best in those global industries where there's a lot of complexity and where change is fast. And right now, that's an awful lot of industries. The third type of partnership is a mix of the first two. It's a mix of compliance and commitment. We want to move fast, but for safety or legal reasons, we need to put rules and regulations in there too. And the fourth type of partnership is no partnership. Sometimes you've just got to walk away. Three years ago, I was really trying to reach out to the VP of a particular business unit to get involved in some change projects we had going on. We had the CEO on board, we had the COO on board, And we couldn't get to this VP. We just had to accept that he didn't want a partnership. We had to find other ways around it. Barrier number two, your managers are stuck in a win-lose mindset. Everything is seen as a zero-sum game. I advise that a far better mindset is unconditional positive intent. This comes from 
the 1970s book on negotiating by Urien Fry, Getting to Yes, was the title of the book. And the idea of unconditional positive intent is your intentions are positive and you put no conditions on that. And this, going back to the example with the VP, that we were trying to get into the change project, for whatever reason he was ignoring us, but we were not cutting him off. Nobody is excluded. We choose who we want to include and who we need to include, and the door is always open. And we have to constantly communicate that to everyone. You can join in, you can make a positive contribution, and the door is always open for you to do that. Barrier number three is confused international leading. There are the people who either lead or follow. Don't. Do both. We need to know when to lead and when to follow. You can't know everything that's going on in every country and every market and with every key customer. And accepting that fact is a moment of liberation. It's a moment of freedom. The best way to collaborate is to give responsibility to country managers, give responsibility to regional heads. They know their area best. Give them the responsibility and the accountability. Let them get on with it, but don't isolate them. Don't leave them alone. Make sure they've got the support from you when they need it. Barrier number four is myopic thinking and planning. In other words, a short-sighted view of problems and opportunities. One of the questions I often ask groups is, why does everything have to go through head office? How many times does a global head or a vice president have to be involved? And this is tied up with barrier three, this confused international leading. Smarter companies build networks at all levels. They're faster to bring together different regions that face the same challenges. Not everything goes up and down the hierarchy, up to head office and back out to regions. The best companies today are building networks between regions. Barrier number five, discomfort with conflict, particularly when distance is involved. And by distance, I mean geographical distance. So this is poor international conflict management. People are dodging conflict. People are dodging confrontation because they don't like doing it at a distance. One example is the outsider. That's the member of an executive team who is physically in a different location. I was working with a top team of eight executives. Seven are in the USA. One was in Germany. The guy in Germany runs a smaller subsidiary of the American parent company. When he shares the European perspective that challenges the American thinking, he's simply ignored because the seven can't deal with that conflict. They can't deal with the difference of opinion. It's outside the realm of their imagination. The solution is to deal with conflicts over distance by putting standards in place, by listening to people to understand where they're coming from. Barrier number six, unhealthy egos. This is the need to immediately and constantly keep yourself happy and ignore the consequences for everybody else. The only thing that matters to people with an unhealthy ego is me, 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 and then me. And then they think possibly about other people, but it takes a long time to get there. So they just ignore the consequences for other people. That can make for a great country manager. It rarely makes for a fantastic international manager. This is the land of the narcissist, this is the land of the sociopath, and we know from research that both sociopaths and narcissists are proportionately in larger numbers at the top of organisations than they are in society as a whole. What to do about it? 
call people out on it, keep them where they're successful, which might mean running a particular national function or a particular geographical area, do not let them loose on larger regional areas. That's dangerous. Barrier number seven, low confidence in an international arena. I have lots of international experience. I was brought up in an international family, but many managers weren't. And you see it, you sense it in their actions. They create a culture of insecurity in themselves, in their team, and in their organizations. The point to remember when working internationally is you're simply dealing with people. So those intercultural differences like power, directness, indirectness can be a factor, but they're often overplayed. Not all Americans are optimistic. Not all Arabs are indirect. The best advice I ever got was actually from my grandparents was to observe, listen, be curious, ask and be respectful. And I think that more than anything will get you a long way internationally. So before you put money, time and people and other resources into global partnerships, we have to assess the business culture, look at your company culture, evaluate your own ego, your own confidence and management skills. Because in the next few months, there will be a rapid change in collaboration in many industries and it's best to prepare for that collaboration now. I'm Stephen Hunt. Thank you for listening. Join me next time for more on how top global managers use confidence and the power of clarity to grow their business.